Bill O'Reilly here. Welcome to the No Spin News for Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. Stand up for your country. We are going to begin with President Biden's schedule. We do this every day. This is a schedule put out by his staff. We're not snooping around. And uh, the president keeps his days fairly light, as you may know if you follow us. So 930 this morning, he had a briefing. That's every day on Intel and things like that. Then he made some remarks about the Colorado um, mass murder, the black eye for America. Uh, We'll get to that in a little while. Uh, Then uh, the president uh, early this afternoon went to Ohio um, to uh, speak at the James Cancer Hospital uh, about uh, the anniversary of Obamacare. Then he came home and that was it. That was it. No press interaction or anything like that. Um, so it's the 11th anniversary of the signing of the Affordable Care Act, March 23, 2010. Um, you'll remember that uh, then Vice President Biden said to the president, this is a big effing deal. Remember that? <laughs> it was caught on camera. That was supposedly to be a private aside. Anyway, um, Mr. Biden is a big fan of Obamacare. Um, and he went to Ohio to show that. Now, the Ohio Attorney General, not many people know this, but we do, is suing President Obama and the administration over the COVID Relief Act. So in the COVID Relief Act, they have money earmarked for the states. And in Ohio's case, I think it's $315 million, $350 million uh, going to Ohio. But If Ohio takes the federal money, Ohio cannot cut taxes and put that federal money in the budget. So that's the rule, the string attached to the federal money. And the attorney general of Ohio says, you can't do that. You can't tell the state governments what it can do tax-wise. So they're suing them. And that'll never be reported. They may win. Ohio may win. Um, but I thought that was an interesting aside. So we also know that the Biden administration is getting ready to roll out at least $3 trillion in new spending. So in my math, I do $2 trillion on COVID relief, $3 trillion on new spending, infrastructure spending. It's $5 trillion of new spending. The government doesn't have the money. It owes about $30 trillion. Doesn't have, can't even come close defunding COVID or this new spending bill. So before I tell you why the Democrats are doing this, I'm going to tell you what some of the stuff is in the bill. So it focuses on investments in clean energy. So the federal government would make the investments, not the private sector. And then it has uh, a goal of 1 million affordable and energy efficient housing units in this $3 trillion. Uh, That means it's going to build housing for Americans who don't have a lot of money. And then it has 5G, telecommunications, rural broadband, whatever it may be. Universal pre-K, free community college, expanded child care payments from the government, paid family leave, child tax credits, health care subsidies, free and reduced tuition at historically black colleges and universities, but not whites. So this is what the $3 trillion go to. So what this is, is the usual, all right? Democratic Party giving 
money directly to favored groups. That's equity. And this is the $3 trillion. But everybody pays for this. All taxpayers pay. Now, as I said, the government doesn't have the money. It's not going to get the money through the current system of taxation. That's to raise taxes. And this justifies it. So, American people, we're going to give you everything free coming down the road. And that's going to include health care, housing, food, uh, everything. Minding your kids, paying for your kids' college education, all going to be free. All right. But anybody who makes a good living is going to have to pay 50, 60 percent of their income in order to make that affordable. This is socialism. All right. So I don't know if Joe Biden even understands what this is, but this is the goal to turn the federal government into the economic engine. The federal government will tell all the corporations like mine how much we can have. Now, that means that when they take more money from my corporation, I can't hire as many people. Right. And that'll be, of course, big time in the big corporations. Mine are little. Then the incentive for me to work, you know, at my point in life, if you're going to take 60 percent of every dollar I earn, which combine New York State and feds, I don't know how much longer I'm going to give you 60 percent. This is going to drive the economy down. So socialism is the goal. But what would really happen if all this stuff is passed, and it may not be, Republicans aren't going to vote for this. Can they block it? Maybe. But what's going to happen if, any, if this is passed, the economy is going to collapse. Does Joe Biden know that? I don't think so. I, I mean, with all due respect to the office of the presidency, I don't think Joe Biden knows much about anything at this point in his life. Could be wrong. All right. Now, there are two people pulling Mr. Biden's strings. You need to get to know them. The first one is Susan Rice. You know her, the former ambassador who is the Benghazi star and told the world, hey, this wasn't a planned terror attack on the U.S. ambassador in Libya. Uh, this was uh, ignited by a video. It turned out to be not true. Ms. Rice never apologized. She was uh, the point person for President Obama on these matters. She's a foreign affairs expert, expert. Well, now she's a top domestic advisor for Joe Biden. Okay, she's buddies with Michelle and Barack Obama, very close. Now, in the four years she was out of government, somehow Susan Rice increased her wealth, personal worth, okay, um, four times. So she's now worth according to her own filing that happened on Saturday. Did you hear about it? No, you didn't. And you won't hear about it except here, which is why you're watching and listening. So Susan Rice says she's worth between 36 and $149 million. Whoa, this is a public servant. She didn't inherit the money. Where'd she get it? Well, under Donald Trump, she made a fortune in the stock market. Okay? So she's increased her personal worth four times under Donald Trump. But here's the kicker. 
she has stocks in all kinds of big companies like Johnson Johnson, Apple, Microsoft. She plays the market. But she also has $5 million in holdings in the Canadian natural gas company Enbridge. Natural gas company, Canada. Is that the Green New Deal? Oh, no, it isn't. That's a fossil fuel company, Enbridge. Now, $5 million worth. So the Wall Street Journal was the only news outlet I saw that even mentioned this Susan Rice and Ron Klain um, personal finance release. They didn't mention the Wall Street Journal, the Enbridge thing. They knew it. They knew it. Didn't put it in the article. The article is tiny. So you tell me. Now, the Wall Street Journal editorial page is an honest page. Their hard news coverage? No. But at least they ran the article. The others didn't. So Susan Rice made a bloody fortune under Donald Trump's economy by investing in a Canadian energy company called Enbridge. Ron Klain is the chief of staff for Joe Biden. He was chief of staff when Mr. Biden was vice president. So he uh, made a lot of money under the Trump economy, too. He got paid $2 million a year, $2 million a year for working for a company called Revolution. Now, Mr. Klain is worth about $12 million, all right, overall. So he made $2 million a year out of government working for Revolution. What's Revolution? Well, it invests in high-growth consumer companies, tech companies, health companies, and real estate and hospitality. It's a capitalism thing. They are basically funding companies, buying equity in companies they feel are going to make a lot of money. And Ron Klain made $2 million a year. That's $8 million under Trump when employment was full and Ron Klain had a good job. Now, these are the people that are driving this socialist stuff, Rice and Klain, because they have theirs already. They got it. 146 million, Susan Rice. Oh, thought you'd like to know. Right, let's go to Colorado. So 10 people dead. Another mass shooting, embarrassing the United States all over the world. Suspect is 21-year-old Ahmed Al-Alisa, Syrian national, okay, Muslim. Uh, No real reason why he would go into a grocery store and shoot 10 people dead, including a police officer, Eric Talley. 51 years old, had seven children. So immediately, uh, Joe Biden um, went out and said, uh, no more assault weapons and ammo clips and, you know, we need gun control. That's what always happens. Um, Will anything happen in Congress? It'll be a brawl. That's for sure. Now, I told you yesterday with the Atlanta thing that disturbed people, and they are disturbed, don't really need an excuse 
to go out and kill other people. They are sick. They do it. They can get guns in this country, but all the gun control stuff is not going to really stop that with 300 million guns already in circulation. Right? This black market guns will cost more. All right, let's go to racism. So I wrote a column called um, Creating Racism. It's on BillOReilly.com. Let's get a lot of, lot of buzz. And I'm going to read you a few paragraphs of the column. And then I asked to get a very smart guy, an African-American guy who's an ex-vet, you know, not somebody with a race-hustling background. I wanted to get a reaction. And I think it'll be a good discussion. That's coming up in a minute. First, let me quote from the column. According to documents obtained by journalist A.P. Dillon, teachers in North Carolina are being instructed that white cultural values include denial, fear, blame, control, punishment, and one-dimensional thinking. Of course, any group could have elements that embrace those things, but for the Wake North Carolina schools, it's exclusively a white problem. In one teaching session, the argument was made that whiteness perpetuates the American system of injustice. Therefore, teachers should challenge the dominant ideology of whiteness and actually disrupt white culture in the classroom. This incredibly racist point of view is not just on display among the woke in Wake County, North Carolina. It has taken root all over the country. The race hustlers who peddle this pernicious propaganda also advise teachers to disrupt any parent who might object to having his or her child brainwashed. You can't let parents deter you from the work City Journal quotes an instructor. This is where the, the original reporting started in City Journal. White children are benefiting from the system. This is simply horrible. Young children being taught skin color dictates their lives. Talk about creating division and bitterness. So that's part of my column. And let's bring in now Rob Smith. He is a senior contributor to Turning Point USA. He's the author of the book, Always a Soldier. Okay, Rob, you were kind enough to read the column. Uh, give me your impressions of it. Well, I, I thought it was dead on. And when I was reading the article, what really struck me is how these uh, these teachers that are supposed to be teaching children first don't really seem to be very interested in that. And so I, I pulled a few statistics about what's actually going on with the education system nowadays. Now, this is according to the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Uh, and this is from this past October, just 37% of 12th graders um, are basically math and reading proficient enough uh, to be prepared for the college courses. And your, uh, your article talked about North Carolina. In North Carolina, just 14% of eighth graders in public schools were proficient in reading. This is also from the National Assessment of Educational Progress. Um, so what's going on right here is we have a lot of activist teachers um, that are bringing critical race theory claptrap into the schools and they're not doing their jobs, which is to educate these children first. And as somebody that went to a public school, as somebody that is a, a fierce advocate for school choice, it makes me feel very concerned for the direction that this is all going in because not only are these kids not being educated, they're also being indoctrinated into critical race theory and into um, hating white people into thinking that racism is the biggest issue that they're going to face in society. And I really fear that this is going to have a detrimental effect on how these kids can operate in the world, you know, post uh, post high school. Well, it already has. Um, you know, as a former high school teacher, 
I know you have to motivate children to learn. They're not going to just come in and go, oh, I want to know all about history and geography and civics and uh, accounting. They don't do that. You have to motivate them to learn. So now what these woke teachers are doing is giving children an excuse to fail. Oh, it's rigged Mm -hmm. against me. The white people have everything. I'm not white, so therefore I can't succeed no matter what I do. It's a built-in failure. It's a victimization. So the public school system in America is basically creating uh, a victim class um, that when they don't do well, for whatever reason, they go, oh, no, 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 it's not my fault. I didn't study or turn in my homework. It's because the white people are oppressing me. And that is a real danger. Yeah, absolutely, Bill. And you know what? Uh, It's really good that you brought that up, because when you even look at what's going on in in the New York City public school system, now there's all this conversation about, well, just fundamentally math, that math is racist. Um, There's uh, all this conversation about tweaking the standards for certain standardized tests because African-American students are are scoring lower. So that must be because, you know, learning is now racist and, and all of this stuff has something to do with racism. Um, I, I think that it just is, like I said, it's very detrimental. It's not helping these African-American kids. And what we like to call it is this is the soft bigotry of low expectations. And I have to point out the fact that these are mostly white liberals that are doing this, right? So so these are not evil uh, conservatives. But or there's no like pushback. Um, there's not much pushback from the African-American community. See, that's where I say you have to start. So if the African-American community would rise up against this phony public school point of view and say, no, we want the basic academics taught on a level to everybody, this would stop. It's the same thing in Chicago. If the people in the poor neighborhoods where hundreds and thousands of people are being shot would go out and demonstrate like they did after the shooting in many Annapolis, if they would do that, Mm -hmm. then maybe something would happen. Now, I have a personal question for you. How did you avoid, when you were a kid, being put into that victim category? Well, I mean, honestly, to tell you the truth, you know, I I went to failing public schools as well. It it was a different era, you know, when I I was growing up. I had good teachers that, that motivated me. But also, like I said, I, I think that the biggest motivator in my life um, was the discipline that I got from being in the military. You know, like I said, I talk about it and uh, in, in always a soldier right there. And I think that that is the key. And I think that for a lot of these kids, um, you're absolutely right that there are more parents that need to be involved and there are more people that need to be speaking up. But you have to understand also that in these failing public school systems, and I always think back to New York City because that's where I lived for 12 years. And, you know, you see these kids on the subways, you see these kids on the streets every single day after school. These these uh, schools are operating as little more than glorified babysitters for these kids who aren't really learning much. And the only thing that is the difference between the kids who are not learning and the kids who are learning and don't go through life with that mentality is at least one active involved parent, preferably two. Um, and I think that in when I look back to my life, uh, I grew up in a single parent household, but my mother was very, it was actively involved in my life. She always pushed forward that education is important. And I think that that's another element uh, that that we're not really seeing here sure. with a lot Parental, of these parents getting involved. Uh, the parents have more to do with education than any teacher will ever have. 
yeah. final question for you, Rob. Um, there is a tremendous amount of bitterness within the African-American community, generally speaking, toward the American system. Now, I don't know what the percentage is, but I see the polling and I hear people like LeBron James and the professional athletes that so many children look up to bad mouth in their country all day long, kneeling, not respecting uh, the structure and the traditions of America. That's reality. So the combination of poor teaching, creating a victim mentality among students who need to be motivated, not told their victims, and what these kids see um, among the athletes and movie stars and things like that, the rappers, um, it's over, almost overwhelming for an African-American kid, is it not? You know, it's very overwhelming. I think that there's a lot of sense among black people in this country right now. And, and like you said, this is aided by media propaganda, by entertainers, by celebrities, by athletes, rappers, whatever. So there's a sense that the American dream is somehow not available to African-Americans. And the hypocrisy of this is actually crazy because you would hear somebody like LeBron James pushing out this messaging. But LeBron James has become fabulously wealthy because he has a skill and a talent. And he was able to do that via the American system and via capitalism. And that's the, the thing and the hypocrisy that nobody seems to point out. I think that in order to let uh, black Americans, but, but any other quote unquote marginalized Americans realize that the American dream is for them as well. We just need to start speaking up about it. There need to be more voices like mine. I think uh, more voices, particularly on our side of the aisle, um, from people that don't come from the typical background, but learn that conservative values actually do work, learn that loving America actually does work, and learn that the American dream and capitalism and all of that stuff really is for Black people too. We need to start getting that messaging out there a little bit more. And I think that this is, you know, this is a good, uh, yeah, good way but to if, start. If you do get that message out, you're going to be canceled. You'll be attacked. You'll be branded a bigot if you are my skin color. Be hard to yeah. brand you a bigot, but I mean. Oh, well, they, if they I, still if do, I, honestly. You know, I, I understand. But, but white Americans who want black Americans to prosper, and I really believe that's most Caucasians. They're afraid, Rob. They're afraid. Mm -hmm. The cancel culture is devastated. Robust debate, honest exchange of ideas. Because you're branded immediately. You know it. You see it. Of Anybody course. on television or radio speaks out, you're a bigot. I mean, I don't care what you're saying. They want to destroy you if they being the progressive far left who's imposing all this woke nonsense and harming children beyond any measure. Last word for you. Well, look, you know what? Uh, I, I always believe in America. I always believe in the opportunity for Americans to thrive and survive. And so I think that honestly, I mean, me, myself, personally, I, I like to call myself uncancelable, but we have to kind of start beating down through this cancel culture. And I really do think honestly, and, and I've been sort of kind of teased a little bit for being a little bit too optimistic about this, but I really feel like we're seeing uh, we're turning a corner on this cancel culture because now this cancel culture that the left has created is now starting to affect them. 
And I think that as long as we as conservatives or we as free thinkers, independents, whatever you want to call it, as long as we continue to exchange in this, this open ideas and these open debates, I think that that will will be OK. I hope so, Rob. Um, I share the hope that you have, but I think the fight is even going to get nastier. But I think the corner, at least I can see it, but I could be wrong. Rob Smith, author of Always a Soldier. I uh, recommend you guys check that book out. I think you will like it. And Rob, we'll talk again soon, I hope. Thanks for taking the time. All right. Thanks a lot, Bill. Okay. Did you know water heaters last about 10 years, refrigerators typically about 13? Every day in our homes, we rely on aging systems and appliances. I do. That means it's time to consider safeguarding your budget from unexpected expenses. American Home Shield has a solution. Pick a plan that's right for you, and when a covered item in your home breaks, contact their professionals to repair or replace it within the agreed-upon coverage limits. It's that easy to stay stress-free and limit budget-breaking surprises. Right now, take $50 off. Please go to A-H-S- dot com slash bill to save 50 bucks. That's a h s dot com slash bill. Fifty dollars off any plan. American Home Shield protect what you don't expect. See a h s dot com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations and exclusions. And on the subject of cancel culture, Tufts University outside of Boston Uh, has canceled its past presidents. So uh, the university has decided to move the portraits of 11 former Tufts presidents because they're all white males. So, (laughs) I mean, I wish I was making it up, but I'm not. Tufts University President Tony Monaco said the school will be spending $25 million over the next five years to advance equity, inclusion, healing, and justice. And part of that is moving the portraits of the 11 former presidents. So, Tony, just so you know, your your portrait's going to be in the basement somewhere, too. Now, Tufts used to be a good school. Okay, would I send my kid to Tufts? No. That's what's happening everywhere. Let's go to South Dakota, where I said that Christy Noem, the governor of the state, Kind of a national player on the Republican side. Keep your eye on Ms. Nome. She's smart. I think she governs South Dakota pretty well. And she has ambitions to run on a national ticket. However, there's a controversy in South Dakota. And they have a bill, HB 1217, that would prohibit athletes who were born males from participating in female sports, all right? Kindergarten through college. So if you're born a male, even if you, uh, through medical science, become a female, you can't compete against someone born female in South Dakota if this bill passed, and it did. But Governor Noam vetoed it. Whoa. A lot of conservatives in South Dakota are really know why. So we did some investigating and we found out why. Because if the bill was signed into law, 
then the South Dakota colleges could be eliminated by the NCAA, the National Collegiate Athletic Association. So if you don't have a policy where everybody can compete whatever gender they want at the college level, you can't compete. So University of South Dakota and other schools couldn't play into collegiate sports. Interesting, right? So Governor Noam said, we need to tweak this so we're not shut out. Our colleges aren't shut out of sports. I kind of see that. So maybe it's K through senior in high school in South Dakota. You know, sometimes you got to go for the greater good. At least you get K through high school. And I think Governor Noam would sign that bill. We'll keep an eye on it. Border update, we're going to do this every day. Give you the update on the border because it's a disaster. And it affects every single American. So a little town, Gila Bend, Arizona, 2,000 people. Um, it declares a state of emergency because migrants are coming into Gila Bend and Gila Bend can't help them. All right. And they don't know what to do with them. because They're wandering around. They don't have any money to give them bus tickets and all that. So the mayor, Chris Riggs, said, hey, we have to declare a state of emergency and hope the state is going to give us some money to handle this migrant influx. Now, you're going to see this everywhere in all the border states because this is totally out of control. Thank you, President Biden. Your fault, 100 percent, sir. And I hope in the press conference on Thursday, and we'll get to that in a moment, somebody says that. Now, new data on who's coming here illegally. 42% of those apprehended since Biden's been president, all right, are Mexican. 46% Central American. So you know, everybody's coming now. Now, the Mexican thing is up big time since 2019. But the Central American apprehensions are down a little bit because they haven't gotten here yet. They're on the way. They're on the way. It takes a little while. But the Mexicans, everybody's coming. All right, so tomorrow, Thursday, and we're going to have a preview of it, uh, Joe Biden's first press conference, I think. So we can't find out when it's going to be. They should know, and it's not like, the president's schedule is packed. It's kind of wide open. So I would assume it's going to be around noon, maybe after lunch. Uh, This is Thursday, March 25th. All right. It's going to be at the White House. Going to come out, stand in front of the podium, I guess. At least this is what Jen Psaki is saying. And then there'll be people in the White House Correspondents Association. There'll be a list. Biden will have the list in front of him. And he'll call on the people on the list. Yes, he'll know pretty much uh, where they're going to go. Because that's what the communication staff does. Not just Biden, all presidents. Okay? But you can follow up and you don't have to ask. You can say, hey, I got a better question. Now, the only correspondent that I know of, and there are other few, but I'm not acquainted with them, is Peter Ducey of Fox News. He'll try to, you know, shake up President Biden. 
Everybody knows that he will. But otherwise, they have to ask border questions, have to. But other than that, it's going to be COVID, what a great job. You know, it's not going to be like the Trump press conference. So in the Trump press conference, and by the way, not all reporters can go to this, just the White House Correspondents Association reporters, okay? Not others. The Trump press conference where the press was trying to hurt Donald Trump. That's what they're trying to do. Argue with him, make him look foolish, whatever it may be. They're trying to hurt him. Here, the press won't going to be trying to help him. Joe Biden, generally speaking. But they do have to ask border questions. Gas price questions, I don't expect. And that's big. And I told you, that's a tax. So here on Long Island, where I am, it's gone from two twelve a gallon on inauguration day. It's up to two eighty five. By Memorial Day, it'd be three fifteen, three twenty. By Fourth of July, three fifty. By Labor Day, scrape it four. So people that don't have a lot of money, gonna be paying double for a gallon of gas to cool your house to heat your house, double. All right. We are on it. We will cover that press conference better than anyone else in the world will. Thursday, I'll have the whole thing for you. Tomorrow, we'll have a preview. This day in history, March 23rd, 1839. One of my favorite guys ever, Martin Van Buren. (coughs) Remember Marty? There he is. Great sideburns, huh? Elvis would love those sideburns. Marty Van Buren, eighth president of the United States, the first president born in the United States. All the others were British subjects when they were born. But Marty is the first. Marty was a buddy with Andrew Jackson. They were real tight. Okay, Marty was Jackson's vice president, second term. So why am I talking to you about Martin Van Buren? Why do you care about him? You care because he gave you a word you use more than any other word, most likely. That word is O-K. O-K-A-Y is the formal spelling, O-K. Just the initials is what most people use. Now, linguists say O-K is the most used word in the entire world because everybody knows what it means. It means, I agree. And now it's used as slang, like, okay, everybody uses it. So how did this get attached to Martin Van Buren, you ask? I know you're asking that. So Van Buren was born in Old Kinderhook, New York. The initials, obviously, are okay. Van Buren was obsequious, word of the day. He kissed Andrew Jackson's butt. All day, every day. He's like Ed McMahon and Johnny Carson. Remember them? You are correct, sir. So wherever Jackson went, whatever Jackson said, Van Buren went, yes, that's right, general. They called Jackson general. So people picked up on that. And the nickname for Martin Van Buren became Old Kinderhook. Old Kinderhook. And they shortened it to OK. And then it got into the 
lexicon as an affirmation. This day in history, 182 years ago. Do you know that? I wrote about it in my novel, Those Who Trespass, but I bet you didn't know that. Quick break, back with some mail, and then a final thought, which I think is going to be beneficial to you. Time is our most precious asset, and many listeners seek advice on utilizing it wisely for personal growth and societal impact. Hillsdale College addresses this need by providing more than 40 free online courses on essential subjects. Dive into C.S. Lewis's works, explore Genesis narratives, grasp the U.S. Constitution's significance, unravel the Roman Republic's history, or delve into the ancient Christian church with these valuable courses, all accessible free. Now, you might want to check out Constitution 101, the meaning and history of the U.S. Constitution, a 12-lecture self-paced course gain insights into the Constitution's design, its challenges during the Civil War, and its century-long struggles with progressivism and liberalism. You can enroll at hillsdale.edu bill to become a defender of American freedom. Please join now. It's free, easy, and essential for safeguarding our liberties. Visit hillsdale.edu bill to register. All right, let's do some mail. Jim Zupakik, Wilsonville, Oregon. President Biden may execute the law, but he is not entitled to ignore the law. Please explain how the administration is allowed to instruct border agents not to bring people into custody. Because they can. Because nobody's going to do anything about it. Yes, we have immigration law. The Biden administration says we're not going to obey it. Now, you could bring them up on impeachment. Democratic Party going to do that? No. So they're going to get away with it, just like the sanctuary city people do. Steve Jew, Sacramento, California. Bill, if our military leaders, the Department of Defense, see the president is not fit to lead as commander in chief, can they seek to have him removed from office? No. Military has nothing to do with politics. They can't do a thing. Message board, Fred, concierge member. Thank you, Fred. Bill mocking President Biden for tripping on the stairs is within our rights as Americans. He mocked Trump last year. His words came back to bite him. Okay, uh, you have the right to mock President Biden when he falls down, but it's not the right thing to do, Fred. Richard. President Biden is an old man. He slipped on the steps. Big deal. Let it go. I think it should be pointed out, but I don't think it should be celebrated. Maury Hamill, Summerfield, Florida. Agree with you that it's not nice to belabor Joe Biden's physical problems. And the real downside is it might bring Kamala Harris sooner, which promises to be much worse for America. I agree with you, Maury, 100%. She'd be much worse. If you can imagine that. It's hard to imagine. William, Bill, you're absolutely correct that the kids in Miami Beach are not responsible adults. I put most of the blame for that on their parents. Look, these are young adults, okay? The parents had nothing to do with it. They're formed. Maybe the parents blew it in the upbringing. I don't know. Those kids are spreading COVID. That's what they're doing. TJ Safeco, 
Arcata, California. Sometimes it's hard to listen to the No Spin News because what you report, Bill, is terrifying and hard to believe. But you are 100% right that it needs to be reported, and I thank you for doing it. I've lost some longtime friends because of hate Trump propaganda. I know you said cut your friends some slack. But when some of my friends get angry at me calling me a racist, I have to walk away. And you should. Anybody who calls you a racist is not your friend, TJ. I mean, no, that crosses the line. Don't ever. You just say, sorry you feel that way, and then take your leave. That's it. And Matthews, Netawaka, Kansas. Bill, I'm doing my part by letting people know about BillOReilly.com. I happened to hear a couple talking about how they're missing Rush Limbaugh. And as they were leaving the restaurant, I stopped them and told them about BillOReilly.com. Way to go, Ann. That's what we need. We need everybody spreading the word. I think we have the best news product in the country. And again, I ask you, if you think there is a better news product than BillOReilly.com and the No Spin News, please let me know. I want to check it out. Okay. Um, If you pre-order Killing the Mob out May 4th, you get 50% off Killing Crazy Horse. Last week, Killing Crazy Horse passed 500,000 in hardback sales, which is amazing because there aren't any bookstores open. And you'll get both books, great Mother's and Father's Day gifts. Um, Word of the day, do not be bellicose, B-E-L-L-I-C-O-S-C. Back with a final thought on a website you may want to check out. So here's the final thought of the day. A lot of people say, Bill, why don't you cover more foreign news? And the reason we don't cover more foreign news here is because much of it, most of it, does not affect you directly. But I'm a big foreign news guy. I remember when I was working at ABC, Peter Jennings ordered me to London. We were, I wanted to go because I had lived there. And he goes, you're going to get some foreign news experience, all right? I said, yes. Giant expense account. It was great. I loved it. I like foreign news, but I can't do it here because I got so much to tell you that directly affects your life every day in America. However, a friend of mine, Phil Balboni, who I worked for in Boston, all right, has started a website called Daily Chatter. One word, Daily Chatter, C-H-A-T-T-E-R, dailychatter.com. There it is. Every morning, they give you, in a very entertaining way, three or four foreign news stories. It's great. And it's not like pinheady stuff or anything like that. They just tell you, in this country, in this country, in this country, this is what's happening. I love it. All right? And once in a while, I'll take it and and use it. But again, we're domestic-driven. But dailychatter.com. Think if you check it out, you people... uh, you know, people who listen to No Spin News and watch us on the first, listen to us on WABC Radio. You guys are serious news consumers. I mean, you know how important it is to be informed. This will make you even more informed. So check it out and let me know what you think. Thanks for watching and listening tonight. We'll see you again tomorrow.